Welcome to the Inside Scoop Live podcast, where indie authors get personal about their books, their writing, and their passions. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Join me for some lively conversations with debut indie authors and seasoned veterans alike. It's a great place to find your next amazing read or even get inspired. So sit back and enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hi, everyone. Today, B.A. Bellick is back to talk about his latest novel, Pulse. It's a one-of-a-kind dystopian sci-fi horror novel with genuine real-world issues shrouded in a chilling story that will leave readers fearing what if. Before we get started, here's the inside scoop on B.A. Bellick. B.A. Brian Bellick was born in Richmond, B.C. and raised in Langley before settling in Winnipeg. His first adventure was a career in finance, where he spent 15 years developing his business skills. Over that same period of time, he attended Light's Film School, where he started to nurture his early creative abilities. As a self-starter, always interested in research, he taught himself many of the aspects of storytelling through reading books, screenplays, and material online. It took many years after attending film school for him to finally combine his creative skills with his life experience and tell these stories he had been holding back. One of the aspects that makes Bellick's projects unique is he includes musicians in his novels, and then he actually produces the songs as his book goes through the editing stages. B.A. Bellick's debut novel, Someone's Story, won the Reader Views Reviewer's Choice Award for Young Adult Book of the Year. During COVID-19, Bellick started a YouTube channel and was awarded a grant from the Canada Council for the Arts. He also pounded away on the keyboard to bring his second novel, Pulse, from his imagination to the page. You can learn more about B.A. Bellick and his work at babellick.com. Well, hi, Brian. Welcome back to Inside Scoop Live. Uh, why don't you get started by telling us a little bit about your latest novel, Pulse? Sure. So my elevator pitch on Pulse, it's a dystopian sci-fi horror thriller set in 2040 about a corporation, a creature, and a music festival. I like to say think Fire Festival, Black Mirror, and X-Files combined. <laughs> Now, Pulse takes a, a like a complete 180 from your award-winning debut novel, Someone's Story. What motivated you to tackle a different genre, and why did you write this story? We touched on this in the first podcast, but uh, Someone's Story just kind of popped out. It wasn't planned or intentional. I think that is part of what makes my first novel so special, the raw, organic therapy for the soul that that was. Mm-hmm. I was essentially learning how to write in real time with this Pulse idea in the back of my mind. But Pulse was so big with the seven, eight storylines in play early on that I needed the toolkit I learned on someone's story in order to even tackle the first draft of Pulse. So with Pulse, my idea was to take those character settings, callbacks and twists I learned on someone's story and dial the fun way up. You certainly did dial up the fun and the gore And I don't know how much you want to give away or not, but that creature, can you tell us anything about that creature? Because that was the one thing that stood out was just the total gore of that creature. (laughs) I I love that creature. And that was really the spawn of my idea many, many years ago. And there is a photo of the creature on my website. So it's not a hidden spoiler. If you dig hard enough before you read, you can find it. So the quick description White soggy skin, a few wispy hairs, big buggy eyes, and a mouthful of needle teeth. 
Yes. Oh, listeners, you got to go and and look for this creature on Brian's website. It looks exactly like what he just said. Now, along with the creature, there's also Pulse, which is the corporate giant who basically dominates every aspect of life on the planet. What drives the Pulse execs in general? And what is their goal with the music festival Pulse Fest? Ah, yes. The business storyline of Pulse So we have Mark Sharp, the Pulse CEO. He is driven by fame. He wants to host the biggest music festival ever, bigger than Woodstock. He is willing to make all the problems disappear as long as the festival is a go, even resorting to criminal offenses at times. Mm. So what about Mark's father? How is he involved in the company? He has been running companies for 50 plus years, and most of the fuel contracts and military contracts in the world have been past his desk. He sees himself as the person running Pulse, even though he doesn't understand the technology the company uses. (laughs) Alan is super connected and trillionaire rich. He knows people everywhere, lawyers, accountants, politicians. He wants Pulse Fest for two reasons. First, he is good friends with the President of the United States, and getting the President involved with PulseFest is a guaranteed re-election, which also means Alan can get more red tape moved away. Mm-hmm. Then second, Alan wants the resources underneath where the festival is taking place. Because we are 20 years down the road, natural gas is getting harder to come by. Alan has an experimental coastal fracking process and has flagged a protected state park as high value. He uses the festival as a sort of cover story to buy the park out from the government, and then he starts fracking on the land as the festival grounds are created. So the festival basically is a cover for corporate greed. Now, what about Eric? Who is he? Can you tell us a little bit about him? So Eric is the original co-founder of Pulse. He and Mark started the company. Eric designed most of the tech that Pulse is using today. When Alan realized Pulse was a profitable business, Alan came in and bullied Eric into leaving the company because he felt Eric was too slow at producing results. Eric went into exile after getting kicked out and was saddened to see Pulse release his old ideas about 80% developed. As a hobby project, Eric released a video game using the wealth from his Pulse shares. He runs the game sort of like nerd charity, giving back to the people via funded tournaments. All the while, Eric has been plotting how to one day get his baby back, the Pulse operating system and the P7500. Yeah, I definitely can't wait to see more from Eric. Hopefully. (laughs) The crazy thing about the Pulse story is this is just scratching the surface on the characters. There is so much more. Absolutely. Now, I love the cover. Pulse has a gorgeous cover. Can you tell us a little bit about the design and how you came up with it? Originally, I was considering a collage and I had the collage made. My concern with my collage was it was way too busy. And unless you've read the book, a lot of the collage is lost. It doesn't do the job of a cover, which is attract readers. It might confuse readers with the busyness. Mm. So then a few months later, I was on a uh, call and somebody asked me for a full page magazine ad. And I was like, I don't have it, but I can get it. So I went to Fiverr and I found somebody who made movie posters and Pulse really is movie-like. And mm-hmm. so I pitched it more like a movie and had them design the first draft of what ended up being the cover. You're also using some powerful original graphics to promote Pulse. Can you tell us about the visual development Yeah, shout out to Midnight Comics. Him and I are actually working on something right now for the sequel. The guy is amazing. 
if you're looking at my artwork section, if there's a book section on my website, all that artwork, that's him. And he is so good. He did a chapter for someone's story. He did the creature. And then it's part of the silhouette on the cover as well. Plus his collage is there. The collage I didn't use for the cover oh, is oh, on okay. my website. Oh, yeah. He did the collage too. Okay. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. He, he does a fantastic job. Yeah, he did it all. Uh, the only thing he didn't do was the video Limitless, which I did with a pixel artist specifically. But most of my art is coming from Midnight Comics. Wow. Yeah. So you've got the artwork and then you also made music. And we talked a little bit about this the last time we talked, how you incorporate music into your stories. The song that I really enjoyed with this novel, Pulse, was Perduto. Can you tell us a little bit about that? How did you make that song? Yeah, that's one of my favorites. So I received a grant from the Canada Council for the Arts to make the music as part of their digital art push during COVID-19. That grant, I made the music video for Limitless. When I was done the budget on that, I had a little bit left, just a few hundred dollars. And I was like, well, I don't want to not use it. So I started (laughs) brainstorming what I could do. And the idea of doing modern electronic opera really stuck to me. So I started digging and I was able to find a vocalist in Canada. So that person who partnered with me on that song is actually Canadian herself, which is a really big win for me. Yeah. Yeah, keep it. I remember the first time I heard the raw lyrics, like no orchestra behind it, just the lyrics, jaw on the ground. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, chilling. Yeah. Well, I love that you're finding all of these um, artists and you do a lot with Canadian authors. I like the way you think local. No, I think uh, I'm big on keeping Canada strong. I think it's small, right, compared to the U.S. So I do market my books to the American audience. Impulse takes place in New York. But when I see Canadian authors or artists, I get excited because there's way less of us. Yeah, yeah. Can you explain how your song ties into the Pulse story? Yeah, so I referenced the song in a short story I wrote and published about a year ago. And so that short story is on my website in the book section. And it's to do with the music side. There's a DJ in the novel, very small role in the actual novel. But this short story is all about the DJ. And the song Perduto's written into that short story. However, at the time of publishing, I didn't have the actual lyrics for Perduto. It was just a concept. Mm. So it was kind of for me to write the short story, publish it, then go make the song, circle back to my main manuscript and actually incorporate a little tease of the Perduto song into Pulse. Oh, wow. Now, I wasn't aware of the short story. I'll have to go back and check it out. I actually only have 17 reviews for it on Goodreads and not a lot of people have found it. And I kind of like keeping it that way. It's a little tiny nugget. Yeah. (laughs) The short story will eventually become my author magnet. Right now, I don't use it as my magnet because my book's actually free, but it's not going to stay free forever. Now, you touched on a few of the key players earlier. You also have a considerable number of additional viewpoints treating readers to, you know, many different angles. How did all that come together? So I have all kinds of cool technology and the creepy creature straight out of Hollywood. None of that matters with our characters. The team behind this book worked tirelessly for months to bring the number of characters down and focus the plot lines. We bounce around a ton into 
eight, nine, ten different POVs, but we did it intentionally because we wanted to keep that episodic TV feel. And the big reason we did it is we didn't want to be handcuffed by only having two or three viewpoints. And when you get into the back half of the novel, it starts to make sense why there was so much bouncing early on. Mm -hmm. You know, when I first started reading and I saw all the characters, I mean, I get why you did it. And at first I was like, wow, this is a lot of characters, but I feel like I know you. And so I knew that you were going to deliver. So, and I knew that there was a point to it, just knowing you, I feel like there has to be, especially in like an action book, you know, you have to have a certain number of disposable characters and you did that. I have a line I like to say. So when somebody brings up the characters or is struggling early in the book, like I've had people read a few chapters and go, why do you keep bouncing POVs? Here's what I say. It might seem like a lot, but just trust in my award-winning pedigree to take you on a journey unlike anything you've experienced before. (laughs) There you go. And you deliver. So there's the characters, but then there's the plot and all of the different elements in the plot. You've got politics and climate crisis and technology and pandemics, greed, corruption. I mean, I I feel like any one of these elements could drive a horror, sci-fi, dystopian novel all on its own. You combine them all. So how do the fictional catastrophes in Pulse compare to the potential real-world tragedy and events that you talk about? So the Pulse idea predated COVID by a long way, but most of my writing actually happened during the lockdown. It was my stay home, stay safe project. Mm. And so COVID gave me that firsthand account of that fear that you're kind of feeling on the page because we all were kind of there, you know, mid 2020. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this novel wouldn't be the same without having gone through that ourselves as a big group. And what I did was I tried to rub a crystal ball and uh, look at the future. And I kind of used SARS and COVID as the two breaks and like, okay, how much time had been between those? How much time should I go into the future? Originally, I had the novel taking place in the present day. But when COVID broke out, I said, there's no way I can have this thing based in real time because there's no way you'd get back to back pandemics. It just wouldn't happen. Right. And I feel like, you know, one of the topics that you handled really well was climate change. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So that was something I picked up on from watching tons and tons of documentaries. And I've always been fascinated in documentaries and I watch one or so a week. And Some of my favorite documentaries are the ones where they go and document things that have vanished or disappearing. So the glaciers in Alaska or a species of animal that's gone. And there's plenty of great docs that are troubling and alarming. And I tried to incorporate little nuggets from all those docs to kind of give you a 20 years from now where it could be if we don't start to address some of our waste as a society. And in the book, I point a not-so-subtle finger at corporate America and the backroom politics that it has with it. (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely a feeling of, oh my God, this could really happen. This could actually happen. And in some ways, I I think that's scarier than the creature. (laughs) It's not so fantastical that people read it and go, well, this is impossible. (laughs) It's like, oh no, this could happen. It could. It could totally happen. I know. (laughs) Now, one of the many unique aspects of Pulse is that it's written using some screenplay formatting elements. Um, Did you always want to be an author? And also, what is your ultimate goal for Pulse? 
No, I didn't want to be an author. First, I wanted to be a movie director and I dipped my toes into film school, but I found I was way too socially awkward and anxious. And so I kind of let that dream go. And I picked up the writing as a hobby a few years later. I like to say though, that in a way my film school dream did come true because by finding writing, I was able to make the movies I wanted come to life in a different medium. Mm-hmm. And the film school still shows up all because I have the screenplay style tagging. And a lot of people have said I start chapters very like a director. I kind of, I'm holding a camera and I'm doing a panning shot to start a chapter. I do it all the time too. It's omnipresent, but my novel's not omnipresent. So it's this neat kind of change of perspective that I think people like. They don't even realize it's happening really. It just kind of does happen. Right. And so ultimately one day I do hope to pitch Pulse, but I think in the short term, my focus is, on the sequel and once the sequel is out, I'll kind of take stock and inventory on everything that's going on. And and if the pitch makes sense then, that's when I go for it. So you just mentioned the sequel, Uh, how's that coming along? What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I just crossed a big landmark, 70,000 words, which is really where I start to feel a story is almost publishable. Mm -hmm. And I like to say like, if something happened to me, I know a few author friends that could pick up my manuscript and finish it now. Really? It's not so raw that only I could finish it. <laughs> oh, wow. And so that was a big milestone. And I just crossed that two weeks ago. So I went from 50 to 70 kind of since I've released Pulse. I always had quite a lot of the sequel already written because originally Pulse was only one book. And we made the decision because it was getting too big and I didn't want to publish it by Stephen King <laughs> and have this thousand page novel. So we cut it in half, but I had, you know, the first 40-ish thousand words of the sequel already drafted. And in a perfect world, I'm hoping to get it to beta by the summer, which looks very possible. And then if the beta goes well, I'm looking at a December 1 release date, which is one year to the day of the first novel dropping. Oh, Wow. How has your writing and publishing experience with Pulse been different from your experience with your debut novel, Someone's Story? Yeah, I had so much fun writing Pulse. So that was definitely something that was different. I actually set the time aside to write Pulse. And where Someone's Story was like a weekend kind of hobbyist project, Pulse was deliberate and planned. And I spent, you know, nine months straight kind of working on Pulse, which Mm -hmm. was the first ever time I had done that. Then the other thing that's totally different on my platform is my marketing is completely different. When I put someone's story out, it was April, 2020, and it was like casting a pebble into an ocean. (laughs) (laughs) It was like nothing happened. And it's my own fault. I knew nothing about marketing. And I've really dedicated a lot of the last 18 months to learning how to market myself better. And I thank my sister-in-law because she showed me the ropes on Instagram and we've probably seen four or 500 website hits just from Instagram. Mm-hmm. Wow. There's another big event that happened. And that was when someone's story won the reader views reader's choice award for young adult book of the year. And it, that changed everything again, because we had just started to get our summer traction. And then we got that award at the tail end of finally hitting some marketing steam. And it was like dumping gasoline on what we had started. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that you found us. And you're, you entered your novel. That was a big moment. I loved someone's story. 
And I want to talk a little bit more about the awards in just a minute. But, you know, as to marketing, I feel like with your first novel, you don't know what you don't know. There was a big learning curve. And I feel like you've done kind of a 180 with your marketing. I do learn very fast. I think that's always been a trait of mine going back to my corporate work. And when you're in the middle of a contract for a corporate job, you don't get the opportunity to not learn. Like you either learn or you're out. <laughs> so I, you know, in my early twenties, I learned how to learn <laughs> fast. Yeah. I thought you did a great job marketing someone's story. Actually, you said you didn't know anything, but you learned quick. And I thought you did a great job marketing that. At Pulse, with Pulse, you've taken it to a whole other level. One uh, of the big differences was with someone's story in, in the summer, we had the traction for the first time on Instagram. And I went from a few hundred followers to a few thousand in a couple months. It was pretty fast. And I would be, if you go look at my tagged posts on Instagram where people have tagged me, there was a time during that summer where we were getting almost a daily tag. Somebody was finding someone's story and it was really fast. And we took that and we grew it with Pulse. We formalized everything we did with the raffles, with the tours, and we only did the best things from the someone story tour. And it's it, like you say, you, you learn a lot fast. So April, I knew none of this stuff. By June of that year, 2020, I did know it. And by December the next year, I had refined everything to almost perfection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Given what you have learned, and let's let's consider the, the writing experience and publishing and marketing. What do you feel are one or two things that are critical for the new or aspiring author to know? Yeah, I think the most important thing for any author who thinks they want to publish or doesn't even know what they want to do, they're just kind of daydreaming about maybe doing it. Mm. First thing you got to do is set aside the time. And at the end of the day, if you don't put the four or five hours a week on the schedule, you'll never finish your book. And this all goes back to 2019 when I was maybe 80% done on someone's story. And I dedicated, you know, five to 10 hours every week, even though I was working a full-time job, to getting that manuscript a little more polished, a little more polished. Once I had the manuscript done, then I spent that 10 hours learning about self-publishing. Then I spent the 10 hours learning about marketing. Mm -hmm. And eventually I was able to give myself a little more time by taking a smaller contract and free up 20, 30 hours a week. So instead of spending 10, I was tripling my time on the platform. And that's really why I learned so much so fast. I was able to kind of half and half and half my time was going to corporate work, half my time was going to the author platform. Yeah. That and I think too, the other thing, you've got to get on social media early. And I was guilty of not being on social media until my book came out. You should be on social media before your book comes out. You want 500, 1,000 followers before you even drop that first novel. Yeah. You know, I feel like with all that you've learned that we could probably talk for a couple hours on this topic. And why don't we circle back and, and do that? Put together a little marketing podcast to do's and don'ts for new authors. I absolutely think that another marketing podcast is in the cards because I, I think I'm a, a wealth of info. And especially looking at your award competition, I see the authors that could use the handhold. Like, oh, I could talk to you for half an hour and you'd learn a ton. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We need to circle back and do a, a marketing podcast for sure. Now, you mentioned earlier someone's story won the 2020 Reader Views YA Book of the Year, and you've taken winning an award 
to another level by becoming one of our award sponsors, which we were tremendously excited about. What inspired you to get involved at this level? Yeah, so with my books, I didn't think they were going to make much money. I'm kind of playing that long game. And I was sitting on some marketing money at the time. And I was like, what am I going to do with this money? Like I could throw it at Amazon keyword ads, YouTube ads and things like that. But I don't really like doing that. I can do it, but it's not my favorite thing to do. And so when I won the award and I did some digging and I I saw a lot of growth at the Reader View website. And I said, wow, like just in a few years, the contest has really improved. And when I saw what the cost was to be the sponsor, I said, you know what, this is not the worst thing to do with the marketing budget. And at the end of the day, what I was really doing was winning that award is such a special feeling. Like I'll I'll never forget waking up and seeing that email and, and how I felt like an author finally after, you know, years of grinding. It was like, this was that moment where I started to feel legitimate. And now I can give that feeling with your platform to someone else. And that's really neat. And I'm going to really treasure that and look forward to reading these book of the year candidates. Yeah, yeah. And I love your involvement as a sponsor and as an author, uh, as an author, helping other authors, because it's clear that, you know, you're big on promoting other indie authors. So you sponsored the awards program. And part of that was you included a marketing package, you're going to take the fiction book of the year, the overall grand prize winner, and you can give them a complete marketing package. And so we're really excited about that. And I know the author that won this year's event is super excited about it. Can you tell us a little bit about the marketing package? So Wally Jones, the author of See I'm the Chosen, I picked up the book a few days ago and I'm going to start reading it on the weekend. I usually do my reading on the weekends Mm. and I'm looking forward to reading it. One of the big things about my marketing package is I think I'm really good at putting an author spin on it. So I learned pretty quick because I was out there buying these $200, $300 packages and they're companies. A lot of these places are companies and you give them your money and they give you your deliverable, but they don't give you the handholding. So if you don't know how to use or interpret what you got back, it's not really that effective. My goal with the package I'm offering is to kind of bridge that gap and show an author how they can use some of these marketing tools out there. And I'll hold their hand and I'll make the first steps for them. And then hopefully they can run with it and, and use their award like I use mine. And find these partners like I found that'll take that award-winning novel to the next level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost like a mentoring package. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I think my goal is to mentor the author. I I'm invested, always invested in the people I partner with. And when I pick up a book, especially an indie book, I'm really hopeful that I will be able to talk to the author. Not all authors reach out. Sometimes I read a book and I don't get much back from the other side, but mm-hmm. that's okay. Two, I don't want to get in the way of their creative process, and I don't know how busy they are. And at the end of the day, if they don't reach out to me after I've read a book, I okay, moving on, I'll, I'll read something else, and maybe they'll come back later. But I absolutely do want to have that relationship and mentor the author and grow and, and watch them write their sequel, and hopefully the sequel is even better. And when you start with an award-winning book, that's really, okay, you, you got my attention. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about our choice, Sam the Chosen? It's fantasy, so it's a little different from what you've written. I read the back cover and I glanced a few things here and there online. I try to stay away from the spoilers, but the vibe I got was that, yeah, it leans a little more into the fantasy realm and it's a little YA new adult. 
so not as mature as Pulse, where things are dying left, right, and center. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I'm very diverse in what I read. So if you were to go pop up my YouTube channel, I just read a fantasy book by P.L. Stewart, Canadian author. And I've read Tara Lake's book, who won a silver medal in your contest. And those are both fantasy books that I enjoyed. And it doesn't mean I won't like a fantasy book. It just means I don't write fantasy. <laughs> right, right. Now, also, someone's story won the YA Book of the Year last year. This year's winner is a book called Blue by L.E. Delano. And this one has all the makings. Our reviewer said not only was it the best, you know, YA book that she's read, but that adults are going to love it, too. I'm excited. I learned you were going to read this one, too. And I'm excited to see what you have to say about this book as well. I, I was very curious to see who would be the successor to my award. Yeah. And so I picked a copy of that up as well. Uh, I'm a little busy on the TBR. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read Sam the Chosen first. And then I have another book it, that I have to sandwich. But Blue is on maybe June. It'll be my video for June. Okay. And I'm very looking forward to it. And I think the thing that I'm very excited about is it also won overall bronze so it not only was it the YA book of the year it also was the overall fiction bronze which like you're saying it has appeal to both the YA crowd and the adult fiction crowd yeah I felt like this award for blue was really special I was really excited about this one yeah I want to read it for sure because yeah when you pop into multiple different categories and then hit the general category as well that's when you're really hitting that writer's momentum spot (laughs) where you can branch yourself out, get yourself to different places. One of the things I like to do as an author, and you're you're probably quite aware of this, I kind of write multi-genre anyways. I kind of have three or four themes going with each of my books on purpose, and that's because it's easier to market. Right, absolutely. And now the last winner that I want to mention is the winner of our horror category, which would have been the category you entered Pulse into had you not been a sponsor of our awards program. And that award went to Thunder AZ, Thunder Arizona by Ari Loeb. Do you have that one on your TBR list as well? I did. I got a copy of that. And uh, I saw, I I don't know much. I think it's a zombie movie. And uh, is the author a stuntman? Did I read that right? Yes. Yes, he is. So a stuntman wrote a book that won the gold medal in the horror category. (laughs) I'm curious, like, because I have that film background, I'm wondering how much he leans into film kind of technique in his writing. Yeah, for sure. Well, we are looking forward to having you back again this year. And I just wanted to, you know, take the opportunity to thank you for your participation this past year. I feel like you've really given some genuine feedback to our authors. And I'm excited. I'm excited about the future working with you. Yeah, I I always looked at it as a long-term relationship, partnership, and I want to try and, you know, bring 10, 20 authors through the program that you guys run for your awards and watch us all grow together and to see what, you know, 10 award-winning authors can do a decade later really interests me Mm. to see that downstream of all that we're putting in today and how when we get to that spot where I've got my fifth book out and Sam the Chosen's got its third, fourth book in the series coming out. And and maybe Tara Lake has written more Almacs and, and they're coming into the awards mix now and she gets something better than a silver next time. Right, right. That's exciting. Yeah. So what's next for you? What are you working on currently? I have plans to finish the sequel. I have three songs in the mix. Mm. And once the sequel and the songs are out, 
I kind of have my blank slate. I had a five-year plan when I kind of started the publishing journey. And by the end of finishing the Paul sequel, my five years will be up. And that's when it's like, okay, how did I do in those five years? And what were the wins? What were the losses? And what's the future? And I really hope that I'm going to write the Paul spinoff. And it's about the creature's home planet. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, it could be one to three books. It's still a very early idea. I have the Excel and some early brainstorms, but one to three books, spinoff, Pulse Creature. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds exciting and it sounds like you have enough to keep you busy for sure. And then there's, you know, looking into turning Pulse into a screenplay possibly, huh? Yeah, that was another, in my mind, I had the idea that at that five-year mark, I kind of wanted to have three books and maybe my first draft of a screenplay. And to take my writing and turn it into a screenplay wouldn't be a huge stretch. A lot of the bones to a screenplay already exist. And I think it's already set in scenes. I'm one character POV. The dialogue's almost already there for a screenplay. And a lot of the descriptions are brief and quick, like a screenplay. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us again. It was a pleasure to catch up with you about your latest novel, Pulse. And uh, I was excited to talk with you a little bit about the awards program as well. Yeah, it was really, I actually got up at five in the morning on Monday to check the award winners. (laughs) (laughs) I was excited too. You could say I was excited. Yeah, it's like Christmas morning. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you, Brian, again, for joining us. And we will circle back definitely on a marketing podcast soon. Absolutely. Yeah, I look forward to doing it. And the summer is wide open for me. All right, we'll talk soon. Thank you for joining me today for my interview with B.A. Brian Bellick, author of Pulse. Learn more about Brian and his work at babellick.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews at InsideScoopLive.com.